0: Despite the latest lockdown, COVID is still running rampant across the country. The UK is like a giant Petri dish, teeming with different strains of the virus. We have the mutation first found in Kent, the one from South Africa, and now, as of last week, one of the variations from Brazil.
2: You might think that we do everything in our power to prevent new strains, new variants of the virus from emerging. That's probably not the course that the UK has taken.
0: Scientists say new mutations are likely to emerge in countries that have handled the pandemic badly. Is there a risk that the UK's vaccine strategy, spacing out the two doses by three months rather than three weeks, could make a new mutation even more likely.
3: That, to me, just gives the virus everything it needs to learn how to evade immune systems. If my feared scenario were to play out, the vaccine will start to fail. Could
0: that happen here? And what do we do if it does? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the vaccine... What if the virus mutates again? It's a question that first started to come up at Downing Street Briefings two months ago.
4: Good afternoon, everybody.
0: It's the 26th of November, a week before the second lockdown ends. The Prime Minister and Chief Scientific Advisor Sir Patrick Valance are taking questions from the public.
2: Uh, Richard from Lancaster asked, will the new vaccines work when the Covid virus mutates or will new vaccines need to be developed regularly akin uh, to the flu vaccine? I think that's probably uh, one
4: uh, for you, Patrick.
0: We now know that as this press conference took place, a new, more transmissible strain of the virus was already spreading in Kent and London. In the days that followed, case numbers would skyrocket.
2: This virus doesn't mutate as often as, for example, flu virus does, but it does mutate. None of those mutations so far have done anything which changes the behaviour of the virus in any significant way as far as we can tell. And none of the mutations that have occurred so far would be ones that you would expect to make the vaccine less effective. But it is possible that as the vaccines work and they put pressure on the virus, that the virus mutates and other forms arise which, which would require new vaccines in due course.
0: Fast forward to December.
2: The new variant contains 23 different changes. This new variant is highly concerning because it is yet more
1: transmissible.
0: And two weeks ago, as the vaccination programme was gaining momentum, Sir Patrick Valance and Chris Whitty addressed the fear that was haunting a number of virologists.
2: All vaccination will ultimately put some pressure on viruses
3: to mutate. One of the things people have raised is a theoretical risk that by having this longer gap, you could actually lead to a slightly increased risk of an escape mutant.
1: Yes,
0: we now live in an era when no press briefing is complete without talk of an escape mutant. The government's chief scientific and medical advisers were explaining how a longer gap A shift from delivering both doses of the Pfizer vaccine within three weeks, as all the clinical trials had done, to spreading them out over 12 weeks instead would hold some risk. But could it really result in an escape mutant? Rhys Blakely is the Times science correspondent. Last week, he explained how the vaccine works and how the rollout was going.
2: A lot more people will be given some degree of protection, sooner. So you can imagine you can either give 15 million people a first and second jab or you could give 30 million people a, just a first jab. So stockpiles of vaccine go much further in terms of the number of people who are given some protection.
3: I haven't actually asked my, uh, I haven't asked my mum whether she minds me saying this. That's
0: the head of NHS England, Simon Stevens.
3: But my uh, parents are both in their 80s, neither of whom have yet been uh, offered the uh, jab. Um, As a consequence of doing this, uh, both my mum and my dad will be able to get a first dose. Uh, Whereas had we not done this, it would just have been one or the other.
2: So those are the reasons to think that it might not be a bad strategy to follow. The cons, if you like, are are people getting a little bit upset when an appointment for a second dose is cancelled, which I think is a very understandable reaction. The second is this theoretical risk that by giving lots of people a lower level of protection, you might create an environment where we encourage new strains of the virus to emerge new variants that may be able to evade the kind of immune responses that you get through vaccinations we've decided that the risk of those new variants emerging is small enough to warrant this kind of pragmatic approach of uh, getting a first dose into as many people as possible
0: I mean that's a hell of a con though you know that's a that's a, a hell of a problem with the system. I know we've been lucky with the Kent variant and even the South African one, where it looks like the vaccine will cover them, but that won't necessarily be true of all strains. Is, is that not a hell of a risk?
2: Um, certainly, when the, the strategy was announced, you know, a couple of scientists, you know, would drop me messages on WhatsApp and Twitter saying, "Has anybody thought about this?" Mm. People are
3: genuinely concerned.
0: One scientist who is concerned Hi is Professor Paul Beanash
3: I'm a virologist and professor at the Rockefeller University in New York City
0: For the past 30 years he's been one of the world's leading HIV researchers You're sort of a a virology household really Your wife is also a, a virologist Tell me, how are you managing 10 months into the pandemic?
3: I have heard it said if you feel like you are being paranoid, doing too much, then you are doing things correctly. And of course, yes, we are a family of virologists. My wife and I work together. We have had essentially zero social contact with anybody outside our family since the beginning of the pandemic in March. We do still wash our groceries. To be frank, I I actually don't think that that is necessary, but, you know, I'm a, a very sort of cautious sort of person and so is my wife.
0: What was the reaction in your house when you learnt that the UK had changed their policy on vaccine rollouts to space out the second dose and delay it?
3: Our reaction to this was, I think, quite particular and somewhat based on what we've actually been studying in our laboratory one thing we have been studying for months is how the virus might acquire resistance to those antibodies. Hmm. And as part of that set of experiments, what we do is we make large populations of diverse virus, and then we mix them with antibodies. And then we ask the virus to grow in that situation. So we're asking the virus to try and find a solution to the antibody, to evade it, for want of a better word. And as part of that, we vary the amount of antibody we put against the virus. And that's basically how we make viruses that are resistant to antibodies in order to study how the antibodies are working and how the virus might evade them. Now, when we heard what the UK was planning that is to withhold the second dose and essentially generate a huge population of people with partial immunity, while at the same time, an uncontrolled epidemic in the UK was rampaging, maximizing the population size of the virus and its diversity, it struck us that this had remarkable similarities to what we were doing in the laboratory in order to try and make Viruses that are resistant to antibodies. And so I think the the potential consequences of that are obvious. We shouldn't be taking half measures against the virus in the teeth of a surging pandemic with just massive numbers of people being infected. To us, that seemed like what one would do if one was trying to make the virus Resistant to the antibodies that are elicited by the vaccine, there are counterarguments to that view, scientific counterarguments. But that was the view that we took. The problem
2: is, if we stuck with uh, with the plan as it is right now, that carries a huge risk. The risk is we're not going to be vaccinating people for for many, many months.
0: That's Doctor Bob Walker speaking to American broadcaster PBS. He was on this podcast when President Trump had COVID and he has a gift for colorful analogies.
2: When I drive down the highway, I like to stay in the lane. It's the right thing to do, but if I see a truck barreling toward me from another lane, I veer out of the way. And so there's no plan here that carries zero risk.
0: Dr. Bob Walker at the University of California wrote a piece backing the UK strategy on this sort of delayed second dose of the vaccine in the Washington Post, in which he said, as Mike Tyson famously put it, everybody has a plan until they've been punched in the mouth. And when it comes to COVID-19, we're being punched in the mouth over and over again. Do you think there's something in that?
3: There's something in that. But I perhaps would counter is that being punched in the mouth, there shouldn't be an automatic trigger to uh, abandon your plan, right? So your plan might still work, probably still work, would work, even having suffered a a punch or two in the mouth. I, and I think many of my colleagues, while accepting the view that it might be better to roll out single doses as widely as possible first, we are in effect, if we do that, doing a huge clinical trial on the population who really actually didn't sign up for it.
0: You wrote a blog about this, sort of in character, imagining you're a supervillain virologist, I suppose, titled Musings of an Anonymous Pissed-Off Virologist. And you say in it that if you had a nefarious nature and wanted to ensure that COVID vaccines were rendered completely impotent, then these are a few of the things you'd do. Is, is the fact that we let the virus run as long as it did and, and run sort of slightly out of control, has that led to more mutations?
3: Yes. And so it's in that context where you now have a policy where you would give one dose instead of the prescribed two doses of vaccine, i.e. generate large numbers of people with incomplete immunity. That, to me, just gives the virus everything it needs to learn. We try not to anthropomorphize viruses, but they do, in a sense, behave as if they're learning, to learn about how to evade immune systems. The process isn't, in all probability, an overnight event. The virus is likely to have to accumulate a number of mutations before the vaccine will start to fail. This process is very likely to happen anyway. It's just one would expect it to take years to happen for this type of virus. But by generating large pools of people with partial immunity, my fear is that we would accelerate that process potentially.
0: I mean, it, it, does it come down to a balance of risks? Are, are the scientists seeing there is a, a risk that you end up with a virus that mutates and? learns how to combat the vaccine before everyone's quite vaccinated. But they think they'll be within the window of safety effectively. I mean, do you think yes. 12 weeks in particular, is is that a dangerous period?
3: There's nothing in my view that's magic about 12 weeks. Where the debate really centres on is on something that's unknown. Okay, And it's really to do with the RNA vaccines. What we don't know is what happens if you delay the second shot Scientists can make guesses, but they are really guesses. And so the fear is if that partial immunity that you get from the first shot wanes between day 21, where you'd get your second shot and say 12 weeks, what happens in that time window? And honestly, we don't know. It could be that everyone's 95% are protected, in which case the decision was a good one. But it could be that a month later, Only half the people are protected and they're now getting infected and the virus has the opportunity to learn how to evade antibodies in those people. That's what I fear. Bottom line is we don't know and I don't think we should be making public policy decisions on an I don't know.
0: So many people around the world have COVID-19 at the moment. Is it possible that there's already a vaccine-resistant strain that's emerging somewhere and we just haven't heard about it so
3: far? It's, I, you know, never say never because the number of variants that are present in the world would be mind-boggling. We're beginning to see strains now, like the one in South Africa, like the one in, possibly the one in the UK, that have multiple mutations. But those strains, I am quite confident will still be at least somewhat sensitive to the whole range of antibodies that are, are generated when someone's vaccinated and so you can think of these these variants that are cropping up as the first steps down what's likely to be a fairly lengthy road to complete vaccine failure
0: is is that is that road inevitable
3: it sounds quite scary when In a sense, it is inevitable, but it might take 30 years. We really shouldn't be doing things to help that process.
0: Coming up, do other scientists share Paul Beanash's fears? And if the virus does mutate to become resistant to vaccines, what do we do? Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.
1: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax
4: and think
0: about When the vaccine trials were happening there was scientific theoretical reason to think they would work but when they did the trials, so much of that it was calibrating whether it's one dose or a half a dose whether it's three weeks apart. This 12-week system has it actually been tested? I mean do we know for certain that it it has the same efficacy as doing it three weeks later?
2: So different um, answers for different vaccines at this stage.
0: Rhys Blakely is the Times science
2: correspondent. So you look at the Pfizer vaccine. The Pfizer trial was a really well-regimented one block, if you like, in the United States. More than 30,000 people given a first injection and they all more or less, get a second ejection three weeks later. So that's the data we have. So we don't know what happens if you delay. But obviously, the longer you wait, the more unsure you are of what kind of protection you're going to get. So that's the story of the Pfizer vaccine. With the AstraZeneca vaccine, the trials were much messier, really. It was a real sort of patchwork of different groups being given different dosing schedules, sometimes, you know, by accident, more or less, uh, in different countries at different um, intervals between your the first and second doses. So the way it worked out in that trial, some people had a 26-week wait between their first dose and second dose. And as really? far as I can work out so far, that's because of, you know, the difficulty they had in producing vaccine, and getting it to people in the very early days of their trials. So that the Oxford team, lots of criticism. People said, you know, what on earth is this, this kind of messy patchwork of data that you've presented us with. But The upside, if you like, is that we do have data from people who had a six-week interval between their their doses versus people who had a 12-week or more interval between their doses. Certainly, there's no indication that a 12-week wait between the doses is bad. And in fact, it might be a good thing, actually. Really? Yeah. I mean, there's a reason to think that a longer wait between the doses is beneficial. So if you imagine that you get first dose... And different parts of your immune system start churning out antibodies, these proteins which are going to clump onto the virus and disable it in various ways. The way I've come to think of it is there's a kind of sorting process, if you like. There's a a whole bunch of different antibodies, a real sort of soup of antibodies that's uh, being created. And over time, your immune system will choose the best antibodies, the fittest antibodies to knock out that pathogen. Mm. And the longer you leave between your first and second dose, the longer that sorting process has to run. If you leave it for a little bit longer, you can get sort of better antibodies, if you like, over the long term. And oh, um, wow. so, yeah, there are theoretical concerns around it. There are also good pragmatic reasons to think that certainly a 12-week interval is not a terrible thing. Chris Whitty really sort of summed up what seems to be the consensus at the moment.
3: That is a, a, a real worry, but quite a small real worry. And I think the general view was the size of the increase in risk is sufficiently small that measured against this ability to double the number of people who actually are vaccinated, the public health arguments are really strongly for doing what we've decided to do.
0: We contacted the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation, the JCVI, to ask how they balance the risk of spacing out the Pfizer vaccine doses. Professor Wei Shen Lim told us, It's highly unlikely that extending the interval between doses by a few weeks would lead to an increase in vaccine-resistant strains. And this small likelihood is outweighed by the large, measurable benefit of protecting more vulnerable people. Professor Dean and Pillay says he can see both
4: sides of the argument. I am a professor of virology at UCL and also I sit on a group called Independent Sage.
0: Now, on Independent Sage, they've recently published two papers the other week. One warning that a vaccine-resistant strain of the virus could emerge in the UK and that spacing out vaccine doses makes that more likely. And... Then you published another paper saying, despite that, the government's vaccine strategy was probably the right one. Can you talk us through that? Talk us through sort of the balance of risks and how Independence Age has ended up coming to that conclusion.
4: We have two paradigms coming up against each other. One is the paradigm of good scientific practice, good clinical trial evidence and how to implement medicine on the basis of, of that. Against, on the other hand, the fact that we're in the midst of a pandemic and the health service is on its knees, theoretically, of course, I think there is a risk of a vaccine escape. I think that risk is there whether the gap is four weeks or or 12 weeks because no vaccine is 100% efficacious. So I think this is more a question of the vaccine being rolled out at the time of extraordinarily high levels of circulating infection. That is, to my mind, the biggest risk. The added risk of just giving it for the Pfizer vaccine in particular, extending the dosing from four weeks to 12 weeks, I think is unclear.
0: So if a vaccine-resistant strain did emerge, could we develop a new vaccine to combat it? The first vaccines took the best part of a year to develop, an amazing feat. Would we have to wait that long again?
4: Yes, it's a, it is a it is a concern. Of course, we have a model of this with our influenza vaccine. Influenza varies in different ways. And in those circumstances, of course, there's always the ability to develop each season a slightly different vaccine. So the question is, is that a feasible strategy for COVID? I think two things are in its favour of us being able to do that. First of all, the fact that in 2021 now, there's a far greater capacity for almost real time genetic characterization of circulating viruses. And the second thing is that the fact that these vaccines have been developed so quickly using in some cases quite innovative technology, such as the mRNA approach allows new variants of the virus to be assimilated into rapid production of the next generation of vaccines. And so I think we have the means to do it.
0: I know that BioNTech, the makers of one of the vaccines, has already said that you know if there is this a new strain that emerges, they could adjust their vaccine for a new variant and have it manufactured within six weeks, which is reassuring. But how long would it take to get approval? Would every new variation of the vaccine have to go through the same lengthy testing process?
4: No, I think that's one of the advantages here is that once a vaccine has demonstrated its safety profile, it's a variation of vaccine and I would expect the approval process to be much quicker.
0: There's been a really interesting development we've noticed recently, doctors online talking about their experiences and we've certainly found one doctor who had the first dose of the Pfizer vaccine and 31 days later tested positive with COVID with moderate symptoms, is that a risk? If there is going to be a variation which is sort of vaccine resistant, is it more likely to emerge in people who are on the front line because they're much more likely to meet the virus in everyday life, I suppose? Should they be given the second dose quicker? Should they receive the second dose within three weeks rather than waiting
4: 12? Well, that's a, that's a really uh, good question and difficult to answer. Many hospitals have 50% of healthcare of their staff off either because of COVID or because of isolation. So I do think there needs to be a high prioritization also given to those individuals at high risk of exposure. Now, your question really is about whether there should be a different stringency of vaccine dosage for those individuals. Given that the UK is probably immunizing more than many countries around the world at the moment and well documented who is getting in um, one dose, who's getting two doses, at what time they're getting two doses. You know, I think a, a really good idea would be for National Institute of Health Research to be undertaking real-time trials, and I think healthcare workers would be an ideal group to do that in. And at least, therefore, we can get the answer to this question relatively soon.
0: So, still lots of known unknowns, but overall, a note of cautious optimism for vaccines. So, when can we expect life to return to anything like normal again?
3: I don't think summer is a ridiculous prediction, I would say maybe the start of the next school year, at least in some countries. It's a political decision. There is this figure of, you know, 15 million people vaccinated
2: by the middle of February. You achieve that, then you should be cutting the number of deaths by something like 90%. I mean, is is that the benchmark? That gives the government sort of political licence to, to open up society? It, it may well be. There's no scientifically correct answer.
0: And in the meantime... Can people who've been vaccinated start to live their lives more normally?
3: No, that's the very last thing they should do. Even people who have had two doses. It's entirely possible that somebody who's had one or two doses, while they themselves might contract the virus and not become sick, they could pass the virus on to others who aren't in that privileged position of having been vaccinated.
0: And despite all the complexity of doses and timing, scientists have one big message for anyone who might be feeling worried.
3: I would very much prefer them to have two doses, but these vaccines are as safe as any of the other vaccines that are on the market. And it's extremely important that people take them.
0: You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests. Times science correspondent Rhys Blakely, professor of virology at the Rockefeller University, Paul Beanash, and virology professor at UCL, Deanan Pillay. You can find all of Reese's reporting at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer today was James Shield. The executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Carla Patella. If you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or any thoughts on what you've just heard, you can send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow.
4: Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.
1: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter.